known Lachey the last year and a half, um, but I feel like I've known her my whole life. She is um, just, you will see, uh, the joy that just, um, that just shines when she speaks and, and how she interacts with others. And um, God laid on my heart back in the summer to ask her to share her testimony. I didn't really know her very well, but I knew um, God was really working uh, in a mighty way in her life. And so she has come this morning and um, is willing to, to share her testimony. She's ha actually had a pretty rough last week. And um, so she's been covered in a lot of prayer and um, I'm just so thankful that she um, is still uh, willing to give her testimony through all the pain that she's had to endure the last week. Um, and so I'm going to let her share a little bit of that with you. Um, I, was, I was thinking about Lachey last night. I'm like, how am I going to introduce her? And I looked on her Facebook page. And if you would look Lachey up on her Facebook page, this is what she says about herself. Um, I love my family, my friends, and I love the Lord. I'm blessed to be married to John and have four healthy boys. I am a wife, a mother, a friend, a daughter, a sister. She's also a speech-language pathologist at St. Francis. And most importantly, she's a child of God. Like I said, in the, in the short year and a half that I've known her, she's so much more than that. She has an amazing testimony of God's goodness and his faithfulness. So please welcome with open ears and hearts to Lachey Worley. I'm going to sit down because I want to be comfortable, <laughs> and I want you all to be comfortable. Um, I thought I would be fine wearing mascara today. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, yes, it's been a painful week, but God is good. And I'm going to share a little bit about uh, what's been going on in my testimony. Um, I, asked, I asked Julie how long I had um, to speak, and um, I was just, I, I I have a lot to share, and I don't want to, you know, I hope that you all learn from it and um, just learn a little bit about God from my story and how good he is. Um, before I start, though, I would like to open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you brought all of us here today. I know that you have um, great plans for this day, and I just ask that you would use me. And, you know, my story wouldn't be, would not be great without you. But because of you, I have a great story that has started, and I know that it's going to continue to glorify your name. And I just thank you for that. And I also want to lift up my friend Carrie, who is speaking at MOPS right now in North Dakota. Um, I just pray that you would be with her and that you would give her the words to say, that you would speak through her. I pray that you would open hearts and open ears to you and what you want these, these beautiful mothers to hear from you today. Um, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, she told you a little bit about my family, and um, I am truly blessed with a wonderful husband and four boys. Um, so I have five men in my life, and I um, brought a picture of our family here. I brought some pictures, and I'll talk a little bit more about them as I go along with my story. And um, anyway, my life, I... When I was praying about this and what to talk about and how to share my life, because it's hard when you think about your whole life. How do you share your life? God put it on my heart to share it in three acts. So I'm going to start off by sharing the first act of my life. And that was growing up. 
and that was my life before Jesus, pretty much. So basically, I grew up in a family. Uh, my mom and dad stayed married. They're still married. I have one brother, and I was a child who really didn't have, I had a pretty blessed childhood. I was loved by my parents and my family and by God, but for some reason, I did not feel loved. I did not feel like I was ever good enough for the people in my life or for God. I always felt like I didn't measure up. I always felt like it wasn't enough, like I wasn't enough. And I grew up in church, and my church experience was, um, it was different than it is now. My I had a relationship with God, I guess, but it was an unhealthy relationship. I saw God as this demanding, angry God, and if I didn't do exactly what I was told to do, exactly how I was told to do it, then I wouldn't be loved. That's not how God is. Let me make sure and make that clear, but that's how I felt. And so I can remember, you know, it was, it was important you had to go to church every Sunday. It was important, you know, that you had to do things a certain way or you wouldn't be loved by God. And I was concerned that I wouldn't go to heaven. So I can even remember when I was in grade school. And this is really sad that I remember this and that I felt this strongly about this, but it's the truth. When I was in grade school, um, we went to confession at our church and I would go to confession and I would confess my sins and when I would walk out of there I would literally pray that God would take my life because I knew I would mess up again and I was afraid of what would happen to me if I messed up again and if I continued to sin because I continued to sin I continued to mess up I continued to fall short and it was it was this huge weight on my shoulders and it affected every part of my life um, my relationships with peers were not healthy. I, um, I, I just, I always felt insecure. I always felt like um, something happened to me in grade school with some peers, and I was kind of an outcast. And I would go home most days from grade school crying, and I just didn't feel like I fit in. You know, I, it was, it was very difficult. And like I said, I was loved. I know I was. But I didn't feel loved. And there's a big difference between being loved and feeling loved. And so the first act of my life was pretty painful, actually. Um, but the second act was better. Um, act two of my life, it really began on, in October of 1999. My husband and I, um, he wasn't my husband at the time. He was my fiance. And we were preparing to be married. And we had um, made a decision to start attending a different church, and we had gotten involved in this church, and we were going through some classes to prepare for marriage. And we were meeting with one of the youth pastors for one of our marriage preparation classes. And she said, I was 23 at the time, and I was a graduate student, and you know my life was pretty busy, and I was pretty stressed, and there, it was still very, very chaotic. And, we were at this meeting, and she said, I don't have an agenda for tonight. Um, what would you like to talk about? Is there anything that you all want to talk about? And I was like, I don't know. You know, well, she didn't have an agenda. 
and I didn't have an agenda, but God had an agenda that night. And that night is when I would say, the reason I say act two of my life started is because that's when my life really changed. Um, that night, I'm going to kind of show you, and some of you may be um, aware of this, but I do feel it's very important for me to share this because I had heard this before. Um, at like I would go to funerals sometimes of friends, and I would hear this kind of message, but I didn't really get it until I saw her draw it and explain it to me. And I truly believe that the reason I understood this on that particular night is because God opened my eyes up to the truth. He helped me to see the truth. And so I'm going to try to kind of um, get my papers here and kind of kind of try to draw. And I'm going to speak without the microphone for while I'm at here, so I'll try to talk loudly. But I'm going to draw for you what she drew for me that night and kind of explain what she explained to me. That changed my life. I'm not an artist, by the way. <laughs> okay, what she told me that night was that here we are, here God is. We're separated. And the thing that separates us is sin. Well, I knew that. I felt very separated from God. You know, I had that part. And um, in... Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, here we are. We've all sinned. Every one of us in this group have sinned. And I knew that. And, and that's what was causing so much anguish in my soul. Because I'm like, you know, okay, what else? So then she says, the wages of sin is death. You know, you sin, there is no eternal life. So... Um, she, she went on to draw this. So we're separated by sin. She went on to draw. Good works. We try to do good things. Doesn't get us there. Religion. I tried that too. I was going to church. I was going to confession. I was going every Sunday. I was trying to do the religion thing. I still didn't get there. I still couldn't get to God. Money. Sometimes we may try to use money to get to God. Or just morality, you know? We try to get to God, but we can't do it. That's the point. We can't do it. So then, this is the light bulb moment for me, whenever she did this. This, see, I am so not an artist. Oh, the cross isn't even going to look good. Who can't draw a cross? <laughs> I can't draw a cross. Yes. Okay. So, here, we'll just fix on that a little bit. Okay. So, then, she went on to say that the only way we can get to God is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's that easy. And I was like, I'm 23, and I never got this, you know? 
And in that moment, when she said that, when she explained to me that all I had to do was accept Jesus into my life and into my heart, and I would be with God for eternity, it, was, it set me free from so many things. It lifted so much weight off my shoulders. I can't explain to you how I felt that night and how grateful I was. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's what he did. That's why he did that. He took all of our sins on himself so that we could be with God forever. And that was so freeing. And then in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. All my life I had been trying to get to God by my works. And here it is, right here in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says it's not by works. It's by God's grace. It's by what Jesus did on the cross. And then Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And at that moment in my life, I knew. And from that moment on, I've always known that no matter what happens to me, I knew if I died that night that I would be with God for eternity. And that set me free in so many ways. And But this is just the beginning, girls, because... Um, there have been a lot of other issues along the way for me, and my story continues. There's a lot more to talk to you about. But this is where it all started. Until this happened, there's no way that I would be where I am now if this had not happened, if I had not gotten this. So I don't know where you are now. I don't know if you are a believer. I don't know if you have a relationship in Jesus with Jesus Christ. If you do, I just I lean into him. In the good times and the bad times, lean into him. And if you don't have a relationship with him, find somebody here you can talk to about that and ask about that and do it. Just do it. Just get into a relationship with him because your life will never be the same. I promise that. Not only will you have eternal life, but your life here on earth will change as well. So um, that was one of the highlights of my life. And the beginning of Act 2. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about the Act 2 continuing. So um, I'm going to get a drink first. Like I said, um, when you try to think about your whole life, I mean, a lot of stuff happens in a person's life, you know? So I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to talk about? So he um, brought to mind some really important scenes in the continuation of Act 2. And the, the, as Act 2 of my life continued, um, I would consider it to be like the life of a believer who continued to have some significant struggles. You know, I, had, I was 23, so my whole life I had lived in this kind of legalistic way, like you have to do this and this and this and this to earn God's love, to earn your way to heaven. That's how I thought. So when you think like that for so many years, like, for some people, maybe it's just wiped clean, but for me, it wasn't. I still struggled with all that. I knew I was going to heaven, yes, but I still struggled with everyday life a lot. And um, 
So I'm going to tell you a, a few stories that happened. And, I, and the other thing I really struggled with, I really struggled with feeling like a failure and feeling like I didn't measure up and feeling like, how could God love me? I'm such a screw-up. You know, I, I struggled with that a lot, too. Like, I knew that I was saved, but how could he love me? You know, that was a whole new, a whole different issue for me. So um, January 2005 to May 2006, um, this scene I would entitle A Time for War. Um, in January of 2005, my husband left for a 16-month deployment to Iraq. And um, I had two boys at the time, two children at the time. And during this time, not only was he at war, but there was also a real war raging inside of me. I was, okay, how do I explain this? I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but I was trying to be a good Christian. Um, I'm strong. I've got this. I, I read my Bible every day. I can do this. Okay, do you hear the word I keep saying? I, I, I. Okay, so that's what happened. I even had a little to-do list, and on my to-do list, at the very top of my to-do list, I had read Bibles, spend time with God, pray. You know, it's not that I was trying to do the right things, but I was trying to do so much in my own power, and I wasn't asking for or accepting his help, and I wasn't asking for or accepting the help of other people in my life who wanted to help me. So this, my husband was home like three times during that 16 months, a total of, he was home for like a two-week stay and like a five-day stay, no, he was actually only home for two, a two-week stay and a five-day stay during that 16 months. So that's how much time we saw each other during that, those, those months. Um, so here I was working um, three days a week at a job that was very stressful. Um, there were a whole group of issues there. And I was raising two children, two very active boys. And I was doing everything by myself. I had the help of my parents and, you know, friends who would help me. But, I mean, I was pretty much doing it by myself. Um, and I really wasn't asking God for help. I was saying all the right Christian things like, you know, God's helping me through this. And we're doing well because God's with us. But it, it was different inside of me. And what happened is I started getting physically ill. Imagine that stressed out, not accepting God's help or asking for his help, you get physically ill. And so about a month before my husband came home from Iraq, I started getting really, really sick. And every time through that month, every time that I would try to eat, I would have these severe stomach pains to the point to where I couldn't eat. So the day that we went and picked him up from uh, Festus, because he went with a group from Festus, the day we went and picked him up, I was so sick that I told him I think he needed to take me to the hospital. So we, I ended up making it through that day, but then I ended up going to the doctor and she admitted me to the hospital right after he got home. It's like sometimes we can make it through a stressful situation and then the bottom falls out whenever you can actually let go and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm done, you know. So I was in the hospital for two weeks and they ran all kinds of tests and basically what I was told is that it was all related to stress. I was so malnourished that I had to be on TPN and 
I did not have energy or strength to even walk to the bathroom. And you know, I work in a hospital, so it was very eye-opening to me, like the things that we expect of people who are sick, you know, because they would come and like, drink this stuff, let's take you to, you know, radiology, and I'm like, I'm sick, you know, like, and we do that to people. So I believe every experience that we go through in life, we can learn something from it. So it really increased my um, empathy for people who are in the hospital and they're sick. And I'm a speech pathologist and I work mainly with babies, but I do work with adults some. And I'm asking them all these questions and they're sick. I'm like, something's not right with this. But anyway, that's a whole new, that's a whole, you know. I'm not going to get into all that, but it opened my eyes to a lot of things. So anyway, um, at that time, because I was so stressed and overwhelmed and, you know, anxious, and they put me on some medications, some antidepressants, so I started taking some antidepressants. And my husband was home for several months, and oh, one thing I want to say, too, was that through this time, I felt like I failed once again. Like, I can't even be strong enough to take care of my family when my husband's gone. You know, here I am. I'm a failure. That's the kind of thing that Satan was putting in my head. You're a failure. You're, you're never going to be good enough. So that was kind of something that I struggled with, which I didn't really ever deal with that. You know, I just kind of moved on because then something else happened, and then something else happened. So what I will say is, despite my feelings and my struggles, um, and the fact that I didn't really surrender to God and depend on him, he was still at work. Because I mentioned something about my job. It was, it was a very bad situation, and I walked away from it. And within about a month, God opened the door to a new job, and I am currently still working there. And it's such a blessing. I know it's exactly where I'm supposed to be. So despite my shortcomings and my failures and my humanity, God was still at work. So um, then the reason I told you that I was on an antidepressant is because, um, first of all, it's okay. God works through medications, too, you know. And um, the other reason I told you is because it kind of leads into the next part of our story. Within several months, um, this was not in our plans, but it happened, I found myself pregnant. And I was on this medication, and I was like, and I'm pregnant, and I talked to the doctors, and I'm like, I don't... I know I don't need to be on medications when I'm pregnant. And he said, you need to be on this right now. He said, you have to to weigh it out. And right now, if you got off of this medication, it would be worse than if you stayed on it. So here I am, mommy guilt. You know, I don't know if anybody said mommy guilt. (laughs) Okay, the mommy guilt started, and it continued for a very long time. And I'll talk about that a little bit. But I, um, you know, I went through the pregnancy, and I I did pretty well through it. and then my son was born, Isaac. Okay, I don't know if you can see this picture of Isaac, but you can come up here and look at it in a little bit if you want. This is my Isaac, okay? Yes, he has underwear over his pajamas, and yes, he is posing in a pretty dramatic way. That is my Isaac, okay? And the reason I brought this picture, it's not the best picture, it's kind of blurry, it was taken with my phone, but the reason I brought this picture is because that's Isaac. I mean, that kind of catches his personality. Well, when Isaac was born, um, see, I work in a neonatal intensive care unit, so I have a little bit of knowledge about some of the signs of something wrong with a person's, with a baby's brain. And I have some friends I work with who have a lot more knowledge about that. And um, anyway, when he was born, he had some of those signs. He um, was a very jittery baby. He just shook, like, 
and his muscle tone, he was like, he had really low muscle tone. He, um, and the other thing about him, he was born with hearing loss. And he repeatedly failed hearing screenings, and so we would take him and get his hearing tested. And finally, we went to Children's Hospital, and they sedated him and did a hearing test. And they, t they told us that he had a um, mild to moderate hearing loss, and it was greater in one ear than the other. And so he was fitted with hearing aids, and he had speech therapy, and eventually he also had some other therapies, speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy. Anyway, once again, I felt like I failed him. I felt like, I felt guilty. I felt like all these things happened because I was on this medicine. Well, whether or not, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I can't, I'm not God. I can't say why he had all these problems. But in my little peon brain, that's what I thought. I was like, he has all these problems because I took this medicine, because I wasn't strong enough, because, and it goes on and on and on and on, and these thoughts just kept going through my head, like beating me up, beating me up. So anyway, um, I was very worried about him, and I was very worried about his future. Here he is, a baby in my arms, and I'm thinking, what's it going to be like when he goes to school? And I'm just like, really? Like, I'm crazy. What's wrong with me? I don't know if anybody's ever been there. So anyway, I'm being real today, okay? I'm being real. <laughs> It's important to be real. So um, so anyway, I think sometimes when we see people like walking along or whatever, we think, oh, they got it all together. Oh, you know, um, mm -mm. I don't think I don't think any of us do. I really don't. <laughs> We're just not always so honest about it. But anyway, so OK, well, if that wasn't bad enough that that happened to Isaac, listen to this. OK, if you feel bad about your mommy skills or guilt, mommy guilt, listen to this. OK. The next scene, the great fall of Isaac. And this was, this is painful for me to talk about, um, but on, in August of 2008, um, you know, Isaac was already receiving therapy and, you know, we were doing everything we could to help him. Um, we were, we, my husband and I were building a house and um, we had like, uh, we had this stairwell and it was open. They hadn't built around the stairwell yet. My mom, my husband and I were all at the house looking around. And at this time, Isaac was a little over a year old, and he was climbing up the stairs. And so the staircase goes like this, and then it wraps around and it goes like this. And he was climbing up the stairs, and he was at the very top of the staircase. And I was sitting down at the bottom talking about the house, distracted, not paying attention to my son. And so he went to... I, we think what happened, because we didn't see him, because none of us were looking at him, but we think what happened is he was going back to go back down the stairs, and there wasn't a stair there. And he fell, like eight feet. And he fractured his skull, and he, um, he fractured his skull in a place where it can cause hearing loss. Imagine that. He already had hearing loss. Oh, and I could have caused worse hearing loss because I wasn't watching him. So anyway, um, we, he, we spent, we ended up going to St. Louis Children's Hospital. We were there for a night. Um, he had to be in a collar and all this stuff, and um, I couldn't hold him. He was crying, reaching out for me, wanting me to hold him, and I had all this mommy guilt. Like, if I would have been watching him, we wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be crying. I would be holding him. Um, I should have been watching him. And, you know, I wasn't the only adult there, but I was beating myself up. 
So um, anyway, he had a CAT scan of his head, and we, we found out that his skull was actually fractured. He had a CAT scan of his head, and it looked like he had some bleeding in a certain part of his brain that might have explained some of the things that were going on with him from birth. So we kind of wondered if that, if that had already been in his brain. Um, but anyway, later on, we got an MRI, and it was completely normal. So I don't know. You know what? I don't know. But... Um, so we also had his hearing tested. We had his hearing tested repeatedly because he was born with hearing loss. Well, I don't know if God healed him or exactly what happened because he did wear hearing aids for less than a year, but then we found out that he had a very, very, very mild hearing loss, and it was only at one certain frequency, and it wasn't significant enough for him to have to wear hearing loss, which or wear hearing aids. So we thought that he had a hearing loss, a mild to moderate hearing loss, and in fact, maybe he did. I don't know, but now he doesn't. He just has a very, very mild hearing loss that does not affect him to the point to where he needs to have hearing aids or anything. So I, God could have worked a miracle. I'm not really sure. I don't get God a lot of times. I don't really know. <laughs> Once again, my peon brain, I don't know. All I know is that we once thought he had hearing loss, and now it's very, very mild. Um, he does, but it's very, very mild. Um, so despite my failure in watching him, he didn't die that day. He could have. I know that. You know, God spared his life, and, um, and he now doesn't have this hearing loss that we thought he had. And um, he got... Like I said, he got physical therapy and occupational therapy. And when he turned three, the, they test again. He, like, aced everything. You know, he didn't qualify for services anymore. I mean, pretty incredible. Now, um, what I will say about Isaac, and, oh, I love Isaac with all my heart. Like, I, I really do love Isaac with all my heart. But he still, his brain still isn't quite wired like other kids' brains. But how many kids are like that? I mean, seriously, you don't have to have a rough start or a fall, you know. So, you know, we just love him, and we learn a lot from him. And um, just, okay, he, he bring, his, Isaac means laughter. Like, we're really big about knowing the meanings of our children's names. And Isaac's name means laughter. And let me tell you, that boy brings us a lot of laughter. So, um... Today is National Fanny Pack Day. Who knew? I heard it on the radio. I didn't know. Where's your fanny packs, ladies? Okay, it's National Fanny Pack Day. But I want to give you just a little taste of what Isaac brings to our life, our lives. And I was going to bring a picture of this, but I thought it would be kind of more fun to do it this way. Some of you who are friends with me on Facebook, you might know what's going to, about to happen. I don't know, but... So one morning, I woke up, and I woke up to this, Isaac, like this, and I'm like, I just looked at him, <laughs> and I just laughed. I have a picture. I didn't bring it, but I just looked at him. I'm going to leave this on here while I tell you the story. So I just looked at him, and I cracked up laughing. I'm like, what are you doing with the Band-Aid on your lip? You know, so... That night, I had gone to bed before my husband, so I found out the story. What actually happened is he decided he was going to shave like his daddy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody, anybody has children that have done that, but yeah, he went to shave like his daddy, and he cut himself a little bit. So he didn't have a mustache like his daddy, but he sure had a mustache when he woke up. <laughs> 
So that's just kind of our Isaac, and that's kind of the joy that he brings to our lives. So, you know, despite my failures and, you know, my shortcomings, God has done amazing things, and I'm so thankful for Isaac just the way he is. You know, he's in kindergarten now, and we... We've had some issues. We've had some funny stories and some, you know, interesting stories, and we will continue to. Um, I could go on and on about stories, but he's going to be all right. You know, God's got him, and he's got us, and he's taught us a lot through it. So, I mean, God is good through all of this. So um, then I'm going to go on to Act 3. Now, this is when, you know, beginning of Act 2, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, Act 3 is where it really starts to change. Because I was not really living like a surrendered life. I mean, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I accepted him into my life, but I didn't really accept him into my daily life. I didn't really surrender him to him. I didn't really ask him to, you know, help me. And so I was kind of still trying to do things on my own and beating myself up and all the, that good stuff. So Act 3... Um, I've got two major scenes in Act 3, and these two scenes are very, very near and dear to my heart. Like, these mean everything to me. Um, Jesus means everything to me, but what he's done in my life through these two scenes and how he's called me to reach out to others with his love through these two scenes, um, that's why I'm here, and I know that, and I'm convinced about that. Um, So... The first scene um, actually started July 2010, and it's going on to the present. <laughs> so this is still still ongoing, um, and I would say this one is called "Let's Celebrate Recovery," and the transition from a time of war to a time of peace. And when I speak of that, I mean the t- the war inside of me to peace inside of me. So, hi. My name is Lachey, and I struggle with anxiety, perfectionistic tendencies, people-pleasing, and codependency, to name a few things. So Psalm 42 says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. So in July of 2010... It was, I had had our fourth son in April, the end of April, 2010. And um, all of our boys, that's why I brought a picture of all of them. I brought a picture of Isaac specifically because I did talk a little bit more about him, but all of our boys are so special and such gifts from God. And I could talk to you about all of them, like, but we, we don't have all day. So um, anyway, there's a picture of all of my boys and Jonah's my youngest and he was born in April. And after I had him, I really struggled with my anxiety like it went through the roof and um, when July came around I was in a terrible terrible place and one of my friends I hadn't seen her for years I hadn't even talked to her for years and you know um, teacher at early childhood okay so she calls me she's on the beach in Florida and she feels close to God right there on the beach and she feels him say call Lachey Okay, she calls me from the beach. Rub it in my face, you're on the beach, and I'm sitting here in a pit of anxiety, but yes, she called me. I'm glad she called me, really. I mean, I would have liked to have been on the beach, but oh, God knew what he was doing when she called me. So she calls me, 
And she's like, how are you doing? I just felt like I needed to call you. And I was like, I'm not good. I mean, and she knew how bad, like, it was bad. It was really bad. And so she, little did I know, God knew all this, but little did I know that she was very involved in a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And I don't know if any of you know about Celebrate Recovery, but Celebrate Recovery is for people with any kind of hurts, hangups, or habits. And I had some hurts, hangups, and habits. And she invited me to Celebrate Recovery. And, you know, I had thought about Celebrate Recovery in the past, but I never really had the guts to go because I didn't really know anybody, and I didn't really know if that was, you know. But she invited me. My dear friend invited me. And so I thought, you know, God, I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything. I'm one of those people who, um, like, tries everything. Like, well, maybe this will work. Well, maybe that will work. Well, maybe I'll get this book. Well, maybe I'll try this program. Well, you know, and I tried everything, and it wasn't working. So I was like, okay, I'll go. So that night, I kind of wish she could be here because I kind of wish she could tell you what I was like that night because she'll tell me. I don't even think I realized how bad I was, but she'll tell me. She was very concerned about me when she saw me walk in those doors. Um, she said it was just this darkness, and it was I was not in a good place. And um, anyway, I started going to celebrate recovery, and she told me, she said, Lachey, and she spoke love to me. She spoke the truth to me in love, and she did that consistently. And she said, Lachey, you need to go through a 12-step study. And I was like, I have no idea what a 12-step study is. You know, but I trust you, and I believe you, and I know that you love me. And so she said, well, here's the deal. I'm going to lead one, and you pick the night that works best for you. And that's the night we'll do it. Because she said, I know you have four children, and I know it's hard for you to make this commitment. Because a 12-step study involves 26 weeks of meeting. And when you have, like, any kind of holidays or anything in there, it's longer than, it's like, it can be, like, up to six-month commitment. I mean, and it's a huge commitment, and you need to commit to it, and you need to be there. And what you put into it is what you get out of it. And so I knew that if I was going to do this, that I needed to do it, and it needed to be in a night that would work so that I could be away from my family and do this. So I, um, the first night of the step study, I'm sitting in the room, and um, she's talking about what we're going to do in the step study. We've got these books. We've got these questions. We need to write out our answers to the questions. It's a very important part of the process. Write out your answers to the questions, and then you read them aloud to the group. No discussion. No, you just go around in a circle, and you read your answers aloud in the group. And I was sitting there thinking, I do not see how this is going to help me. But I believed her. And I trusted her because she had been through one, and she had told me how much her life had changed. And so you basically work through 12 steps. And a part of working through those 12 steps is pretty much it's inventorying your whole life. So um, everything that's happened to you, how you felt, and then after you do that, you make amends with people, you forgive people. It's very powerful. Like, it changed my life working through the 12 steps and going through a 12-step study. And so through that time, not only did my relationship with the Lord grow and I learned about surrender and I learned about forgiveness and I learned about so many things, also I started developing healthy relationships with women, which was something that 
I just wasn't very good at. I mean, I, I really struggled with that. That goes back to things that happened in my childhood. And the women that I went through the step study with, we lovingly call each other stepsisters. We are stepsisters, step study sisters in Christ. And the relationships that were developed during that time are incredible. So not only did my relationship with God grow stronger, my relationship with these women grew stronger, my relationship with my husband changed, my relationships with my children changed, my relationship with my parents changed, everything. Like what God did started doing in my heart started affecting everything around me. And I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain what he does through one of these step studies, but it's life-changing. So one of the things, so many, I had so many light bulb moments during that step study, but one of the things that stood out to me was when we were working through step three. And step three says, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. During that time, I realized that I had previously turned my life over to Christ when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior in October of 99. But I had not turned my will over to him. And what I learned is that this requires a daily recommitment. This requires daily surrender to his will and not my will. Because I know what I want, you know, like, but God, as this is what I want. But it's surrendered to his will and what he knows is best. So, um... The serenity prayer, like, I always thought the serenity prayer was only three lines long. Well, through Celebrate Recovery, I learned that it's more. And I want to say the serenity prayer right now, because, and I want you to listen to the words. And I'm praying that I don't forget. Like, I have this word, prayer memorized, and I say it a lot, but I'm, like, fearful that I'm going to forget the words up here in front of everybody. But listen to these words, because the serenity prayer really says it all. It really says it all about what it means to live a life for Christ. And it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time. Did you catch that? Living one day at a time. That means don't condemn yourself for what you've done in the past. And don't worry about the future. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Being right here in this moment. Here's a, this is a catcher. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome. In this prayer it says, Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. How hard is that? You know, this is a sinful world and there's a lot of pain in this world. Taking, see, I just drew a blank. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next one because that just totally left me. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So that you'll make, will be, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. So, okay, 
This is going to be the part that's going to be hard for me to share because, as Kristen said, I called you Julie earlier. I have no idea why I called you Julie earlier. <laughs> I just now realized that. Well, Julie's right there. That's what it is. Okay, I don't know what. <laughs> okay, see, yeah, this is mommy brain. Okay, I have other mommies here. You know, mommy brain. Okay. So anyway, um, this next part is what's going to be really hard for me to share because it's the most fresh, and it's where I am right now, and it's the season that we're in right now, and um, Kristen kind of alluded to it. So um, when I think about the serenity prayer, I think about all those words, and that is what is getting me through this most recent trial and struggle that we're in. So the next scene and this is the last scene I'm going to talk about this is kind of where we are right now and it's called adopted and called to adopt and actually it's from 1999 to the present and let me explain why it's all the way back to 1999 Ephesians 1 5 through 6 says in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. Did you catch that? He adopts us into his family. And, um, you know, I was adopted into God's family in October of 1999 when I accepted Jesus into my heart. But I'm going to be honest with you. I've had a hard time understanding what that means. I've had a hard time understanding what it means to be his child. You know, like, when you're his child, he loves you unconditionally. And everything that is his is yours, you know. But saying I'm his child and knowing it here is a lot different than knowing it here. So it's been a process of learning in my heart what it means to be his daughter but if you have Jesus in your heart you're you're God's daughter you're Jesus's sister I mean you're in the family you know so that's where adoption started for us and then it's it's gone further sorry so um I don't know exactly when adoption was placed on my heart as far as adopting a child or children into our family. You know, here we are. We have four biological children. We have four healthy children. And some people would wonder, why would you adopt a child? You already have four children, you know. I mean, you get questions like that. But for us, it's more about living the gospel and um, doing what God has asked us to do being obedient to his calling. So in 2000, I don't know when I first thought we were supposed to adopt, but in 2006, I worked up the courage to say something to my husband about it. Hmm. So I said something to him about it. I had done a little bit of research. I had no idea what it entailed, but I had done a little bit of research. And when I said something to my husband, this was his one and only question. How much does it cost? Hmm. Sounds like a question a man might ask, huh? So I told him how much it costs, and he said, absolutely not. And he walked out the door. So here I am. I couldn't even say anything else. He, like, shut the door in my face. And at the time, I was like, 
like, why, God? Why? You know, you put this on my heart. Why would he just walk away like that? Well, now I understand a little bit more. It's kind of like that in life, isn't it? When something happens, you know, we may be like, why is this happening? But then later on, when we see more of how the story evolves, we understand we weren't ready yet. Our hearts weren't ready yet. God told me very clearly we were supposed to adopt, but we weren't there yet. If we would have adopted then, first of all, I don't think we would have made it through the heart-wrenching process of adoption. And secondly, we would have not been ready to bring a hurting child into our family whenever there were so many hurts in me and in relationships in my family that we weren't ready. I mean, my husband saying no was really God at work, I believe, you know. Our hearts weren't ready, and God knew that. So um, so over the years, um, my heart has changed, and I've gotten a lot of healing, and my husband's heart has changed in incredible ways. Um, in 2000, the summer of 2011, my husband and I made the decision to actually move forward and adopt. So in... Um, the summer of 2011, we made a decision. It was like on a, on a Wednesday. We, we said, okay, we're going to do this. We're not going to just talk about it anymore. We're doing it. And within a week, get this, get how God can change hearts. Because I didn't do it. I didn't beg him. I, didn't, I prayed about it, but God changed him. Um, my husband said, I'm going to sell my truck. What? He sold his truck to help pay for the adoption. The man who said, absolutely not, sold his truck to help pay for the adoption like and if you know my husband and his thing with vehicles and his stuff I'm I mean I have my issues too but he has his stuff you know so he sold this truck so that was pretty incredible um so since all this happened like this was the summer of 2011 so we started raising funds and got our home study and all the kinds of things you have to do for adoption and there have been so many bumps in the road like I could probably talk to you the rest of the day for that but about that but I'm gonna try to narrow it down to some big things first of all I felt like we were supposed to adopt um, internationally and my husband wasn't really there and so we prayed about it and we decided we were going to do a domestic infant adoption so we had um, paid money to this lady, and we were going this way, and things were happening, and um, it was not a good situation. There were a lot of unethical kinds of things going on, and we were just like not sure what we were supposed to do. And November of 2012, um, November is National Adoption Month, and on Orphan Sunday, which is the first um, weekend of November, um, it, we had a, the start of a two-part message series at our church about adoption and just about us being adopted into God's family and being called to care for orphans. Not everybody's called to adopt, but we are called to care for orphans. Sometimes that looks like adoption and sometimes that looks different, but we are all called to care for orphans. And so that Sunday at church, like my husband had guard drill. He's still in the military and he had guard drill. And for some reason, I was like, he's supposed to be at church. And typically, he doesn't go to church when he has guard drill. And I said, I really feel like you need to be at church. And so he came to church, and um, we listened to the message. And um, we didn't talk about it a whole lot because it was a drill weekend, and it was busy. Well, the Wednesday after that church service, I woke up, and I was sick. Like, I was, like, physically ill. And this is the question that I kept 
that kept running through my head. How can we continue to wait for a baby who hasn't been born when there are children waiting for families? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with infant domestic adoption. There's not. But I have to listen to what God's telling me. And that's what he told me. He said, there are waiting children. He said, I want you to go that way. Well, I had talked to my husband about this a lot before. Once again, you know, it's that whole, I was there and he wasn't. But I even had a, bull, I have a bulletin board in my house that has pictures of waiting children. I've even taken pictures to him and been like, look at these kids that are waiting. And so anyway, um, I woke up that morning and I was like, I have to talk to him, you know. Little did I know God was working on his heart too. Because I, I told him, and he said, I'm open to anything. <laughs> when he said, I'm open to anything, I was like, okay, <laughs> I know that's God. So we walked away from the domestic infant adoption, and we walked away from a lot of money. But when you hear God, you need to listen. And it doesn't matter what he's asking you to walk away from. You need to walk to what he's calling you to. So that's what we did. And this is where the painful part comes in. <laughs> um, we saw this picture. And you can come up here and look at this whenever I get finished. But we saw this picture of this little girl. And her name is Stephanie. And um, she's in Central Africa. She's still there. And um, a friend of mine shared some of these statistics with me about um, orphans and adoption. And, you know, I just want to read some of these to you before I go on with our story to help you kind of see where I was and what I was um, feeling about adopting a child who's waiting. There are between 153 million and 210 million orphans worldwide. That number blows my mind. 500,000 children live in foster care in the United States. Every day, 5,760 more children become orphans. Every year, 14,505,000 children age out of the orphanage system at age 16. Every day, 38,493 orphans age out. Every 2.2 seconds, another orphan ages out of the orphanage with no family to belong to or place to call home. One, two, two seconds. Every 2.2 seconds. Studies show that 10 to 15% of the children that age out commit suicide before they are 18. And studies also show that 60% of the girls become prostitutes and 70% of the boys become hardened criminals. That is not okay with me. The number of caring adults it takes to make a lifelong difference for an orphan, one. And I knew that God was asking me to be the one, that he was asking our family to be one of those families. And so, you know, we um, decided um, to move forward with adopting a waiting child. And so um, a lot of things happened, like there's so many things that happened and that um, led us to this little girl, Stephanie. 
And um, so we started the process. We got all of our paperwork together. We, um, it was a very um, exhausting process, just that alone, you know, and then not knowing. And she's in a country that where, there, where there's a lot of instability and a lot of evil and a lot of corruption. So anyway, um, we have been working on that since November. And last Monday, I got some gut-wrenching news. Um, you know, we've been following her story. She has an amazing story. And, um, you know, she was dying in the orphanage, and God saved her life. And to, just to be able to witness that and to see God's glory in that is pretty incredible. Um, she was moved to a foster home where she is with another girl that um, she was in the orphanage with, and they're like foster sisters. They have a beautiful foster family. I have pictures of them with their family. I have pictures of her and what she looked like when she first went there and after she had been there, and what God has done in her life is a miracle. I believe God saved her life. I know God saved her life. Um, in fact, a really cool thing I want to say right now is um, the one picture the, that has like, a, it's a collage, it's a collage of pictures of her. And the little girl that's in the pictures with her um, is her foster sister. And she's being adopted too, and I've become friends with her mom. And the really cool thing is that her mom is speaking at Mops in North Dakota right now. Neither one of us had any idea that that was happening. How long ago did you ask me to do this? I don't even know how long ago she was asked to do this. I mean, it was way before we knew each other, you know. And, um, yeah, God just works in incredible ways. And her, her adoptive mother and I have a, an amazing relationship. We have so much in common. I know God brought us together for a reason. Um, but anyway, everything changed last week. Um, I got a private Facebook message. Um, basically... Uh, it was a week of a lot of pain and not knowing what was going to happen, but basically we found out that this happens in the country we're adopting from a lot. Um, Stephanie was uh, being adopted by another family, and they got the referral in September. We got the referral in November. But what happened is she was a missing child, but what is being discovered is that missing children are actually double referrals. Um, people are in the Congo are making money off of this. So I, so we were like a month away from her legally being our daughter. And this got to the place where, um, we had a good chance of Okay, our lawyer and, and their lawyer went to the courts, and the courts said um, that they washed their hands of it. The agencies had to decide what to do in this situation. So um, after a lot of prayer and discussion, and you know, we had a good chance of going through with our adoption. But um, Thursday morning, we found this out Monday morning. Thursday morning, my husband and I we woke I woke up, and I felt God tell me, I called you to adopt a waiting child. She was being adopted by another family, and so she's not waiting. You didn't know that. You didn't do anything wrong, but you need to let her go. And I don't know how to explain this, but she became my daughter in my heart. Like, So the thought of letting her go was like, ripping out of my heart. 
It was extremely painful. Um, so I called the agency and our agency and I was I told her what we were feeling and I said what do you think because you know more about the situation because there was supposed to be a meeting on Saturday between our agency and their agency in the Congo and she told me she said well you have a good chance of um, there's a lot in your favor and you could go through with and be adopt her but what could happen is when it gets to the embassy the other family had already contacted the embassy when it gets to the embassy they could decide to not grant her a visa and she could never never leave the country and never be brought into a family and so I knew then you know what God t asked us to do was exactly right we had to let go of her because we love her. And so um, that's what's been happening in the last week. And Saturday, like, Saturday I spent the whole day in bed, like, until like 5 o'clock that night. And I was just really, like, my husband said, I'm so worried about you. Come with us, you know. And I'm like, I can't. I have to be here with God. I have to tell him how I feel. I have to work through this. I have to give it to him. I have to, and I stayed with God until about two o'clock in the morning, that next morning, and he brought so much healing to my, to my soul, to my spirit, to my heart. He brought so much healing during that time, um, and when I was talking to Kristen about it a little bit, I told her it's hard to explain, but I would say that it, that this past week has been painfully beautiful, and what I mean by that is there's been a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. But what God is doing in me and in my husband is beautiful. And I don't understand why this is happening because so many, I was 100% sure she was coming home. So many things pointed in that direction. I had no doubt this child was coming home. And I don't understand why it happens. And sometimes I don't know where you are in your life or what you're going through, but things happen in life, and we don't know why, and we don't understand why. But where I am now, I just, I trust God. I trust him. And um, what is today? When Thursday? Yeah. Good thing I wasn't speaking Thursday. <laughs> Because I wasn't there Thursday. Well, Thursday was whenever we were talking to our agency and everything, too. But I want to talk. You know what? I totally messed up because I went ahead. But I want to back up a little bit and tell you something that happened Monday morning so that you can see that God is at work. Um, Monday morning, I was reading from my Bible. And this is what I read from Psalm 73:26. This happened before any of this started, like about an hour before. And these words jumped off of my Bible at me. And these are the words. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I knew those words meant something. And so I wrote them down in my journal. And I knew they meant something. I did not know that within an hour my heart and my flesh were going to fail because that's what it felt like. It felt like they just failed. But God knew, and he told me that he is the strength of my heart. He told me that he is my portion forever. He knew this was going to happen. 
And he loves me so much that he wanted to make sure I knew that before my heart failed, before my flesh failed. And so, you know, Thursday morning we made this decision, and um, then Saturday happened. And um, through all of this, I've learned some pretty big lessons, and I want to just kind of talk about a few of them, and then I'll and then I'll wrap up because I've I've talked pretty long. Then I'll wrap up. Um, one of the things that I've learned is letting go and trusting God with this child. God knows how much I love her. God knows how much our family, how much we love her. I mean, I could actually see her playing with my boys. I, I did. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but I actually visually saw her with them. I saw her running through our basement like a madman with our boys. Like, I saw her jumping on the couch. You know, I saw all these things. I saw myself dropping her off at Christian school whenever I would go to work. I saw story times with her. I saw all these things. She's not, I mean, it doesn't appear that she's coming home now. You know, so God told me, as much as you love her, I love her more. And I'm going to take care of her. I saved her life. I am doing good in her, and I'm going to continue the good that I've done in her. So you need to trust me. That's one of the things I learned through this. Another thing that I learned is that we need to be committed to prayer for this girl. She will always be our daughter in our hearts. That's why I made the collage, because I want to keep it up in our home forever. I want everyone and our family to know she's our daughter in our hearts. My boys, that's their sister in their hearts. They may never see her. They may never play with her. We may never hold her in her on our arms, but she will always be in our family. And what God placed on my heart through a really cool story is that we need to be committed to praying for her. So I want to tell you this cool story. So Saturday, after I had soaked my pillow with tears and um, just told God how mad I was and how I felt and how unfair I thought this was and how I didn't understand because I'm a human after all, you know. After I told him all of this, you know, he started working in my heart and started the healing process and um, I was listening to this music by Jason Upton. I don't know if anybody knows him. Does anybody know him? He's worth listening to. He's worth getting to know. He's, he's pretty cool. Um, anyway, his music has really helped me a lot. And um, this story spoke to me in such a powerful way. He was adopted as a child. His mother, when she was 16, she had an abortion. And shortly after that, she became a Christian. But then she found herself pregnant again. And the same man who had taken her for the first abortion said, let's just do it again. You'll be free. Go have an abortion and you'll be free. She knew that was not going to bring her freedom. She still struggled with the previous abortion and she knew that wouldn't bring her freedom so she decided to have the baby. And she was young and it was hard. She kept him for two months and then she knew she couldn't. So she gave him up for adoption. But before she gave him up for adoption, she wrote 
on a piece of paper all these prayers that she had for him. And that piece of paper went to the agency where he was adopted and was kept there until about two years before he told the story that, that I found on YouTube. And when he, it was a closed adoption, so she couldn't go and get any information about him, but he could go and he could get information about her and he could find her if he wanted to. So he went back to the agency because he decided he wanted to know more and he found this piece of paper with these prayers that she had written out by hand. And he was reading these prayers and he was like, God has answered all of these prayers in my life. And he was just blown away, you know. And so he decided he wanted to meet her. So he did. And he found out that she is a strong Christian woman and that she is a prayer warrior and that she's a part of the prayer team at her church. And this is the really cool part of the story. He found out that she had been, for the past like seven years, when she would go to the prayer chapel to pray, she would listen to Jason Upton's music, her son. She didn't know he was her son, but her son. So the child that she had prayed for and that God had answered those prayers, she was listening to his music during her prayer time. They were connected. And so it was just a really cool story that spoke to me about committing to prayer for this girl. Um, and then another thing I learned is the importance of relationships and friendships. You know, like my relationship with God, there's no way I would be sitting here today. I would probably still be in my bed. <laughs> you know, a day in my bed, yeah, I was there a day, but I wasn't there two weeks or a month, you know. I'd probably still be there. Um, but just the importance of my relationship with God and the importance of friends. I've had so many of my friends reach out to me in love and support and encouraging me and just loving me through this. And one of my friends told me something that just really touched me and I will never forget. She said, don't doubt in the dark what God has called you to in the light. Because she knew what I was going through. She knew that I was having thoughts of, well, maybe this isn't really what we're supposed to do. Well, you know, because it's been such a hard process. And, and maybe he really didn't call us, you know, doubting, questioning, that kind of thing. And don't doubt in the dark what God has called you to do in the light. And I encourage you to remember that, too. There may be times in your life whenever it gets hard and you're like, am I really supposed to be doing this? Are you sure you asked me to do this? But just remember what he told you in the light. And then, um, the I think this is the last thing. Yeah. Uh, well, no, there might be one. Letting go. This is another thing. Letting go and trusting God with the process. Because here we are starting all over again. And we don't even have a referral now. And we don't know when we'll get one. And we know there's a lot of corruption in the country. And we could get a referral and something like this could happen again. And there's so many things that if you let your mind go, you're going to be crazy. You're just going to lose it. And you're going to say, I can't do it. I can't handle it. I... And then the other thing that I have a problem with sometimes is trying to make things happen. You know, like, well, maybe we could just, you know, uh, go to this agency and then they have these waiting children and, you know, trying to make something happen. Have you ever done that? Like, it's not happening, so maybe I'll do something to make it happen. And, um, you know, what God spoke to me about the other day, you know, 
it was about like this chapter of our lives. And I told him, I said, this is not how I wanted the chapter to end. I wanted her to come home. I wanted to write this. I wanted to write this, the rest of this chapter. And he spoke to me about giving him the pen and letting him write the rest of the story. Letting him write the rest of this chapter. That's hard to do. I don't know if any of you have been there, but that's hard to do. But I know that he's a better writer than I am. He's the great author. And so I'm just in a place right now where I'm trusting him and trusting that he will write a better story than I ever could have imagined. And then the last thing, I think, is just that we have continued faith and prayer as we wait on him to write the rest of the story. Um, I recently read a book called Awakening by Stovall Weems, I think is how you say his last name, I'm not sure. But anyway, in the book he writes, prayer is not just about the answer. Did you get that? Sometimes I think prayer is just about the answer. Prayer is not just about the answer. It's also about glorifying God in the process of waiting for the answer. It is our responsibility to check our motives and believe God hears us. God does not merely want to answer our prayers. He wants to spend time with us to prepare us for the answer that will come. Many times we want to skip over the process involved in engaging God in prayer as we wait for our answer. But it is this very process that works maturity in us and prepares us for the answers our prayers bring. I truly believe in my heart that he is preparing us for his answer to our prayer. One of the things he showed me through it, one of the ways I think he, he's preparing me, I don't even get all the ways he's preparing, but one of the ways I think he's preparing me is I was grieving and mourning the loss of dreams that we had for bringing this child home. Okay, when a child is adopted, especially internationally, they grieve and mourn the loss of their home country, their language, the familiar surroundings, the smells, the tastes. Everything that is familiar to them is lost. And I'm sitting here thinking how hard it was for me to grieve a dream lost. And here we are, we're going to bring a child into our family who is grieving all this much greater loss. And just like God's going to bring good out of this situation, past our mourning and grieving, he'll bring good for them too. But there's still the time of mourning, and there's still the time of grieving. And so I feel like I will better be able to understand behaviors that will happen and emotions that they will have because I've gotten just a glimpse of the grieving and mourning process. So I do believe God is preparing us. And, you know, as we continue this process and as we continue this journey on our life, um, the Lord has continued to penetrate my heart, to penetrate the hard areas of my heart with these truths. I am chosen by him. You are chosen by him. I have been adopted into his family. You either have been adopted into his family or he wants you to be adopted into his family. I don't know where you are, but he wants you to be in his family. I am a daughter 
his daughter, and he loves me unconditionally. He wants the same for all of you. Although I continue to fail and fall short, his love will never, ever fail. Never. So um, just in closing, I'm going to do it before 11. (laughs) Just in closing, I now have peace. I really do. And that is something that I've longed for my entire life. And what I need to say right here is that my story is only this great because of God. And he deserves all the glory for the peace that I have. All of it. Every bit of it. I I tried my whole life to find peace. I'm telling you, it can't be found anywhere else. Because I tried. Every avenue. He's the only way to peace. And he deserves all the glory for that in me. And when I got married, my um, uncle, he's actually a pastor, and he performed our ceremony. And he gave me a Bible, and inside the Bible he wrote Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Ever since then, it's been one of my favorite verses. I don't know if you know it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And one of my friends shared this with me, and I love it. It's actually, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like Philippians 4, 6 through 7 for adoptive parents. But I think it applies to all parents, honestly. So I want to read it to you. It says, do not be a spaz, but with each bump in the process, give it to God in your heart and out loud. And remember to tell him how thankful you are for how faithful he has always been. And the peace of God, which doesn't make sense to your mama human brain, will guard over your mama heart and your mama mind because they belong to Jesus. So I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story up to this point. Um, There's more for him to write, um, but that's kind of, in a nutshell, what has happened to this point. And I also want to encourage you. Um, I don't know your story, and I don't know what you've been through in your life, but God does. He knows. He knows it all. He knows every detail. You know, I just shared parts of my story, but he knows all of it. Same thing for you. And um, he's always been there, even if it doesn't feel like it. I can tell you that I've been through times where it doesn't feel like it, but he has always been there. And not only does he know your story, but he also wants to be a part of it. He wants to be a part of your story. In fact, He wants you to hand over your pen, and he wants you to allow him to write the rest of your story. So here's the question. Will you let him? That's all I got. (laughs) 